Welcome to 900 Ackland Avenue. This is the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. What follows is the service from December 26th, 2021. Thank you and God bless. Good morning. Good morning. Give these folks a minute to get seated. Our first song will be 336. Oh 
love thee evermore. O Savior, my Redeemer, what can I but adore? And magnify and praise thee and love thee evermore. Song before our next scripture reading and prayer will be number 64. 64. <clears throat>
Many aspects of our lives continue to be disrupted from our norms, but we thank you for bringing us through it. We, we continue to feel the daily blessings and grace you freely give to us. We pray that we will, as the psalm said, always be a people close to your heart. Praise the Lord. Four hundred forty-two. Four forty-two. My faith looks up to thee, thou Lamb of Calvary, Savior divine. Now hear me while I pray, take all my guilt away, oh let me from this day be holy thine. May thy rich grace impart strength to my fainting heart. My zeal inspire as thou hast died for me. Oh, may my love to thee go warm and changeless be a living fire. When life's dark maze I tread, and griefs around me spread. Be thou my guide. If darkness turn to day, wipe sorrow's tears away. Nor let me ever stray from thee. Sullen stream shall o'er me roll. Bless Savior, then in love, fear and distrust remove. Oh, bear me safe above a ransom soul. The song for our lesson this morning will be 137. <clears throat> 137. <clears throat> there is Lord Jesus, ruler of all. Sunshine, fairer 
shines purer than all the angels have can boast. Beautiful Savior, Lord of the nations, Right? It's, it's a planet spun out of control. 
made manifest and seen most specifically in, in what's going on at the temple at this time. And so if you've ever had the experience of trying to go home and experiencing that intense joy, but also that sorrow, and you're like, I love my family, but I'm also horrified by my family, <laughs> horrified at the same time, I love them, and I'm embarrassed by my cousin Eddie or whoever it is, right? Jesus has the same experience in our reading this morning as Jesus returns home. So if you would stand with me for the reading, this comes from Luke chapter 2. And if you want to join with me in the bold section, feel free. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. And then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers together. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Thank you. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is God's word. You may be seated. It's unique reading, especially for those times when we're like, what happened between the birth of Jesus, between the nativity and the magi, and just suddenly he and his cousin John are adults and it's go time. Like, like what happened? What was teenage Jesus like, so to speak? And we get that with this story of Jesus around the age of 12 and the Jewish culture of the time. 12 was roughly the age that you transition from being a child to being an adult. They did not have the sociological concept of adolescence that we have now. We had those conversations before when adolescence began sociologically, how it's extended, various things. They had a series of rites of passages that a young boy or a young woman would take, and then after they had gone through these rites of passage, they would be a man or they would be a woman at that point. And this is roughly around the time that Jesus did that. When I read this story as a kid, around the age of 12, I thought, man, Mary and Joseph were the worst parents ever. <laughs> they, yeah, surely he's around here somewhere, and days go by, and they don't even look for their child, like, what is going on here? It's because they saw him as an adult. Or maybe we should say an emerging adult, right? He had a lot of responsibility. And if time went by, they're traveling back home, they hadn't seen him. They had great trust in him. Probably more trust than we would have in most 12-year-olds today, right? It's very similar to how we worry about our 16 and 17-year-olds learning to drive. But a lot of our grandparents or great-grandparents... They were driving when they were 12 or 13 years old, right? <laughs> Obviously, it wasn't national traffic. And a lot of things weren't great about them driving at that age. But anyway, right, it's kind of a different time period. And they saw Jesus as emerging into an adulthood at this time. His response to them is very unique, and it's no accident that all this is happening around the temple. So I'm going to talk about the temple just a tad this morning. Jesus was born in the south, Bethlehem, but grew up in the north, Nazareth, around the area of Galilee. So when they would make the annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover, kids will remember Passover, the Exodus story, blood over the door, the lamb, that type of thing. When they'd make the annual pilgrimage, it was a several days walk, and it would go from the north Galilee through Samaria, and then on down to the southern Judah, Jerusalem area. They would make that pilgrimage, and they would go to Jerusalem, and the Jerusalem temple was a big deal, and all that's going on here was a big deal. And if we remember the history, 
of the temple. The Israelites, the Hebrews, the Jews, always believed that God was everywhere. The God that created the world is fancy word, omnipresent, present all over the place. And yet, there were specific places that God seemed to show up just a little more clear than other places. And after they left Egypt, the Exodus story, Mount Sinai was one of those places. And when God spoke to Moses in Mount Sinai, God commanded Moses to build a tabernacle to take them with them. It was like a traveling uh, tent, um, almost like an RV that they would take with them as they traveled to temporarily set up all these things that represented God's presence. And the tabernacle was like a microcosm of the whole universe with the symbols of fire and the symbols of water, which represented the seas and various things. And they would set this up as a reminder that God was present all over the world, but specifically they sensed that presence there at the tabernacle. And they made sacrifices and various forms of atonement to God. It's how they experienced God's grace and mercy. Later, during the time of David, once David builds pretty nice palace in Jerusalem. This is years later. He says, God, I'm kind of embarrassed that I live in a nice house and you're still in the tent. You know, God kind of chuckling because once again, the the tabernacle is just representative of his house. He reigns everywhere, right? But he says, David, that's not a bad idea, but you're a very violent man and there's a lot of quote-unquote blood on your hands. So how about your son build it? So David made some plans. Solomon picked it up. And Solomon builds this wondrous temple, and we have record of that in the early parts of 1 Kings. And the story of how the presence of God comes, and it's like a cloud, and it comes and it hovers over the temple to signify that God's house is this temple in Jerusalem. And it's marvelous. Even the Queen of Sheba will come from Africa to visit it. But years go by, and the people are quite wicked. They mistreated the poor They worshipped other idols. They committed sexual immorality. And eventually, God will allow the Babylonians to come on several occasions. The second occasion, a man named Ezekiel is taken back to Babylon. And he has a vision early on in the book of Ezekiel. I think it's around chapter 10. Has this vision of the Spirit of God leaves the temple. So in 1 Kings 8, the Spirit of God comes to the temple and inhabits the temple. But then Ezekiel has this vision that the Spirit of God leaves. So when Babylon comes the third time around 586 B.C., and this time torches the temple and burns it to the ground, pious, faithful Jews did not believe God died in the fire. God had already left because of their wickedness. About seven years later, they rebuild the temple. It's not nearly the same. The people that were old enough to remember the first one cried because it was not nearly as good as the first one. This was under Governor Zerubbabel. And then fast forward several hundred years, (laughs) very wicked man, Herod the Great, is in power, and he's embarrassed when he goes to the regional puppet king's meetings that everyone else has a fancier temple than he does, okay? So he wants to build a nice temple, and what he does is he forms this manipulative practice where they would take the temple treasury money, they would not give it to the poor, but instead they would keep adding on and making the temple very fancy, so when Jesus comes, the temple treasury is not being used for appropriate means. It's the most corrupt, hypocritical thing you can imagine. And yet that's the temple that Jesus has come to in the story. Now there's this great line. When his parents finally find him, he says, Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? I was reading in recent weeks about this, and, and translators discuss whether or not that's, that's the best interpretation of the phrase there. Some believe a better interpretation of the Greek there is, didn't you know I would be about my father's affairs? You might say it this way, my father's business, my father's work. That I'll be about the work of my father. I like the idea of kind of juggling both of those. Father's work, Father's house. And think about it this way. What is the Father's work? And how is Jesus going about the Father's work? And how is that connected to the temple? Well, the mission of God to reconcile all things to himself. All things that have been created. To reconcile humans, to reconcile the world, to bring all things together. As the book of Revelation says, in the words of Jesus, 
make all things new. The work of Jesus to bring us all together, to reconcile us. We use the word often salvation. This idea of experiencing the kingdom, the intended effect of the creation. Well, how does that work connect with the temple? And it's this sense of Jesus is coming to make the Father's house a home. Think about that for a second. Have you ever gone to a house that did not feel like a home? We sometimes talk about this, the cliche, that to, to make a house a home, this type of thing. You can go to a building, you can go to a structure, and maybe even you return to the house you grew up in, but it did not feel like it. You had this nostalgia, this wistful desire to return home, but it felt very cold, and it no longer felt like home. It's a house, but not a home. When God, and this is what we celebrate at Christmas, when God returns to the creation, the creation no longer felt like home. But God has come to make this house, this cosmos, represented in the temple, but never just about the temple. The temple's a microcosm of the cosmos. God has come to make this creation a home once again. And what will that look like, and what will that entail? You know, when we experience this type of thing, when we experience this nostalgia, when we experience a desire to make a house a home, there's a couple of different reactions you can take. And you might have experienced some of these just this holiday season. Sometimes when I return to my home, whether that be the house I grew up in or, or my family or even elements of my childhood faith, which are so joyous and yet so painful at the same time, you know, that type of deal. Sometimes the intensity of it just makes me want to withdraw. Some of you might have had an experience with the holidays this far that you were having a good time and then you just hit the wall. <laughs> and you're like, it's time to leave. Like, this was great. I've experienced the joy before I experienced the sorrow. Let's round everybody up and get in the car, right? Because the intensity of that is just, it's just too much for me to experience right now. Besides, though, the withdrawal, the idea of abandonment, sometimes there's this idea of it's painful, and yet I need it, so I'll just suffer through it for the good of it, right? And this is when your family teaches you for the same things they always tease you of. You know, I go back to my family, and I, I feel a role that I've always filled in my family, and they put mantles on me that they've always put from the time I was a small child, and there are times I'm like, okay, like, I know you like to tease me because I wrecked the go-kart when I was 11, but I'd like to think I've made some progress since then. You can't trust me to drive the family home, you know, that type of thing. And sometimes we just kind of suffer through the status quo because we don't want to rock the boat. We want to keep the family going. It's interesting to me that in this passage, Jesus doesn't take the path of withdrawal. He doesn't abandon the temple. But Jesus, Jesus doesn't take the path of status quo either. Jesus takes a third option. It's a third option that he will present to us throughout the Gospels, and it's the option of renewal and reform. Jesus has come to reform and renew the temple, to make the temple what it was always supposed to be. He's not going to abandon it, and he's not just going to put up with all the evil that's taking place in it. He is coming to change it. And that is a challenging, delicate task. Notice what Jesus does with this idea of the temple. Let's follow this temple trajectory. So he's come to this temple, and at this point, he's studying, but they're amazed at his answers. And it's kind of the sense of, this is where I come alive. But I, I tend to know some things that you wouldn't expect a normal 12-year-old to know. And then later when he comes back, he'll say things like, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it. And you get the sense of there's more to this temple than meets the eye. And then Jesus, one of the most famous Jesus stories, right? This same temple. He will come and he will cleanse the temple. Because they were cheating the poor. And he's been building up to this from the time he was 12. I'm going to come back here. And, and in that passage in John, he calls it his father's house. 
but he's come to make his father's house his father's home. It continues, though, after he's fulfilled that prophecy by being resurrected, the early Christians trace this trajectory of the temple. Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 6 that together we all form a temple when the Holy Spirit indwells us, just like the presence of God in 1 Kings 8 indwelled the temple, but then Ezekiel saw it leave. God can indwell us, or we can resist it, and God cannot indwell us. It can go either way, friends. But when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we become God's temple on this earth. And so Paul can say in Acts 17, God no longer lives in temples made by human hands. God indwells us. And so later, once again, very similar to Babylon, when Rome comes in AD 70 and they burn the temple, the Christians did not grieve because they did not believe God died in the fire. They believed the Spirit of God was in them, and they were the temple. So what does all that mean? In closing, I'd like to think of all the 12-year-olds amongst us today or all those who can see 12 on the horizon, or maybe you were 12 just recently. I'd like to talk briefly to the Ackland kids and the Ackland teenagers. We read the scriptures, we're given this message, and kids, this is the message. This is your home. And I don't mean the Ackland building is your home, although I do hope when you come in here, you just kind of have this sense of this is a space where I connect with God and this is a space I feel at home and comfortable and I feel the presence of God. I hope all those things. Okay? But more than this building, this group of people is your home. It's your home. And no matter where you go in this world, when you see people to get together in the name of Jesus, I want you to think, that's my home. Those are my people. Now, as we said throughout, there will be times that your home disappoints you. There will be times that your home lets you down. There will be times that it feels like a house but not a home. And, and in the church, we all have our cousin Eddie's, right? We have other people that, that wear the name of Christ that we would just kind of like to forget about, right? like, oh, they're ruining our reputation. But that's what it means to be in the family of God, just like our biological families. And kids and teens, we should know that, that this, is your, this is your home. This is your family. When I think about being 12, and then I think about you being 12, you being a kid, you being a teenager, it seems so much more complicated. I didn't get on the internet until I was a freshman in college. So I didn't, I mean, there's a lot of good about the internet, but like, I didn't do anything with a like button until I was much older and didn't have, there's a lot of good in technology, but I didn't have some of the stresses that you guys have about technology. I never spent one second as a kid worried about a school shooting. There are a few years I wondered if the Russians would invade. It's a different story for another day. But I never worried about a school shooting. It just wasn't a thing when I was a kid. When it comes to conversations on, on sexuality, some things are probably better nowadays. I think some things are a lot more complicated. There are things I think some of you are thinking about at a young age. That never crossed my mind. I wasn't even thinking about it at that age. And when it comes to things like depression, self-harm, all the statistics show that that's a lot higher than, than when I was growing up. And so kids and teenagers, we want you to know we love you so much. We're so proud of you. And we hope you see us as your home. And I want you to know that some of the challenges we might have gone through, us adults, when growing up in the 80s or 90s, what decade did you grow up, Justin? 60s, okay, 50s. Whenever it was we were growing up, the challenges may be different in some way, but they're similar in a lot of ways. They're similar in a lot of ways. And so, I want to tell you this, no matter what you do, there's nothing you can do to keep us from loving you. No matter what you want to talk about, there's no topic that we'll be like, ah, we can't talk about that. We can talk about anything you want to talk about, because we love you, and this is your home.
you're going to grow up and someday, just kind of like I experienced Christmas nostalgia going home the other night, you're going to grow up and become an adult and then you're going to think back on what it was like to grow up at Aquin. <laughs> and you're going to think, you remember when we used to do this? You remember when we used to do this? Remember when, remember when JP would do this? Oh my goodness, I can't believe it. And there's going to be some of that. And there's going to be stuff you laugh about, and that's totally fine. There's stuff I laugh about the church I grew up in. But I hope there's other stuff where you're like, they did this, they said this, they acted like this, they loved each other like this. And I'll never forget that. I hope you have that. I'd say this, growing up's not easy. Processing family, processing faith, those things are never simple. But here's what it means to be an adult in a culture that is desperately trying to figure out what it means to be an adult. Jesus in this passage tells us what it means to be an adult. To be an adult means you don't run, you don't withdraw, you don't leave. To be an adult also means you don't just sit there through the status quo and suffer a painful status quo without saying anything. To be an adult means you love your home, you love your family, and you love it enough to make it better. You love it enough to make it how it was supposed to be. Once again, in Scripture, it's not just how you think it's supposed to be. It's God's intentions, the way it's supposed to be. And that's what it means to be an adult. This morning, I checked the news as I was waking up and got the word that Desmond Tutu passed away. He was 90 years old. Received the Nobel Peace Prize. He was an archbishop in South Africa. And along with Nelson Mandela, was one of the leading people speaking out against apartheid in South Africa. Kids, it was like their version of segregation. Okay? Simple comparison. Okay. But he spoke out against apartheid in South Africa. And here's the thing. He knew what it meant to be an adult. And to be an adult is not just, South Africa's bad, so I'm going to leave. The church of South Africa's bad, so I'm just going to leave. And it wasn't, well, I'm just going to suffer through the status quo even though it's wrong. It was, I love it enough to help it flourish. I love it enough to say hard things, do hard things, not because I tear it down, but because I want to build it up. And his example, Desmond II, just shows us what it means to be an adult. That's what Jesus did in this story. So when he tells his parents, didn't you know I'd be about... My father's business, my father's affairs, my father's work. I'm turning this place from God's house to God's home. And this is how Jesus was growing up. You may be 12. You may be much older than 12. I know that in my life, I may know what it means to be an adult, but often I act very childlike. So the call this morning is for all of us to follow the example of Jesus to be about our Father's work and to see all of this creation that Jesus created. Say, so how can we make this the home of God? Paul, what's our next song? 177. 177. Let's stand and sing together. We'll sing this before communion together. God himself is with us, let us now adore him, and with awe appear before him. God is in his temple, all within keeps Bow with reverence. 
Holy Father, 
We thank you for this cup, which represents Jesus' blood, which he shed for us. Lord, as we continue on during our week and into this new year, let us remember your son and all he did for us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our last, last song this morning will be 282. 282. I know that my Redeemer lives and ever prays for me. I know eternal life He gives from sin and sorrow free. I know, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know, I know eternal life He gives. I know, I know that my Redeemer lives. He wills that I should wholly be in word and thought indeed. Then I life free. I know, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know, I know eternal life He gives. I know, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that unto sinful men His saving grace is nigh. I know that he will come again to take me home on high. I know, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know, I know eternal life he gives. I know, I know. I know, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know, I know eternal life He gives. I know, I know that my Redeemer lives. yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for giving us your Son, whose birth we celebrated yesterday, and we thank you for his death, which freed us from sin, and his resurrection. We pray that uh, as we go through this, wor uh, this world, especially through this next, through our lives, we may follow you and help us fulfill your, what you want us to do. Jesus' name, amen. Announcements will be in city this morning. Good to see everybody. Hope everybody had a good Christmas. Um, we've got some new faces. Uh, this William's a friend. He usually goes to Ethos, but he's visited the last couple of weeks. Good to see him. Adrian brought his neighbor Terry this morning, so get a, if you get a chance to meet them, say hey, Rebecca, your parents. Good to see them here today. So uh, good to be back together after the Christmas break. Um, we've got some birthdays this morning. Josephine Deloney is six. Jackie Spivey, how, how old is Jackie Spivey? Do we know? She always brags about being the youngest Spivey, so I'm gonna say she's 40 years old this year. Happy birthday, Jackie. Viviana is eight years old this week. Happy birthday, Viviana. DJ's got a birthday. DJ, good to see you. Happy birthday. And Larry Brown and Tim Spivey, both New Year's babies, so send them a note if you get a chance. Um, we will not be having Wednesday night um, service together until the 5th. Um, we keep waiting for it to get cold, but we're gonna plan to be back at the building and do some things here together. We'll do a meal together like we used to, and then have some intergenerational class time on Wednesday nights. Those are always good, so uh, as we get going in the new year, I encourage you to, to, to meet here uh, in the midweek. Uh, also, we went ahead and scheduled another um, outing to Jill's house. If you've not done that before, uh, we've taken some of our youth group to do that a couple of times. Um, it's great. If you don't know what it is, uh, it's a group that does a lot with families who have special needs kids. And the weekends where we go, it's kind of like a respite weekend for those parents who spend just every day caring for a kid. That's it's it's a lot of work, uh, and it's been it's a hard weekend and it's a tiring weekend. But it's one of the best things we've done uh, with our youth group. So think about that coming up in February. And then also in February, uh, we'll get back to our prayer retreats with Ryan Sullenberger. If you're, if you're kind of new here, that's a highlight uh, on our calendar. Um, so talk to Ryan if you have some interest there. Uh, we want to remember our sick. We've got some folks dealing with COVID. We want to remember Stina. Uh, the Browns are out now dealing with that. Um, just keep them in your prayers. Y'all be careful, be diligent. You've done good. Keep, keep it up a little bit longer, right? Ray, good to see you today. Glad you're feeling better. Uh, any other announcements that I'm not thinking about, JP? It's just with uh, the holidays, make sure that we have enough adults for all like, the kids' classes. I know uh, Matt Bauer may need somebody to help him because Trisha was in it, unable to be here today. Okay, anyone else? Great, we've got coffee downstairs. Uh, good to see you this morning. Hello. You've been listening to 900 Ackland Avenue, the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like more information about our community, our church website is http colon slash slash org. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.